Hey guys, Joe Tower here, executive editor at Rightway. Now, normally it'd be Rhea and I together with you today, but I'm just jumping on the mic solo quick in the midst of the last days of our Christmas break to intro this drop for our final episode of 2020. Obviously, it's been a tumultuous and unprecedented year for everyone. It was no different for us at Rightway. A year ago, next week, we started this business, we started this podcast with the express intent of empowering writers by pulling back the curtain on the publishing industry and providing tools, real tools, to help them achieve career aspirations. It's been a rocky road, but we are not deterred. And we will be back next week to start off 2021 right with a bang, more keen insight, more straight shop talk, more industry pro interviews, more applicable content for you to use on your path to publishing. But for this episode, this very last one of the year, we thought we'd turn back the clock in this right way rewind. So stay tuned because you're about to hear our first ever episode recorded one year ago today when the world was young and still COVID free. Welcome to Right Way, a podcast that empowers writers to become successful authors by offering a truly no bullshit look behind the curtain of the publishing industry. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You want to write a book, but you have no idea where to start. Should you hire an editor? Should you just self-publish? Should you just give up and hide under a rock? Right Way is here to put the power back in your hands. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, As CEO and founder of RightWayCo.com and a published author myself, I teach one thing. Writing is about more than just craft. It's also a business, and it's imperative to understand the ins and outs of this industry so that you become your own best advocate. So if you're ready to stake your claim as an author, let us show you exactly how to do it the right way. I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel consistently that like when I'm really pressed, when I'm really like, I just am more productive with everything. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when, when I'm, I'm like, squeezed, I'm always more productive, but I'm, I'm addicted to productivity. And I mean, I have been every weekend, every spare moment. I mean, it's for a different purpose now because it's... So, yeah, so that's, I mean right way and all that is like ultimately why we're here today it is doing this first podcast episode first podcast episode uh, I, you know I, I don't know that there's any good way to start a podcast like a first podcast episode <laughs> it is so awkward though it's like i think that uh well i think there's something that we talked about before we even like in, when we were sort of like putting this podcast idea together is that we didn't want to like beat around the bush. We wanted to like get right to what is right way. So what are, what are we doing here? I mean, what is, uh... okay. So I feel like there are so many podcasts out there that do talk about writing, but I don't know about you, but I feel like they're all about the craft of writing and process. And you and I really discussed creating something that does go beyond the craft. We're going to talk about the business of writing. Um, and I really want to talk personally about every single thing that I wish I had known um, before I got published, because now I'm on book four uh, in my publishing contract, and I have just learned so many lessons um, about the business, and I want to just share all of that shit here. Well, and I think also, it's, I think it's worth noting that, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we talked about or what, like, sort of prompted this to begin with was that statistic that you'd found that, like, 80% of people of like all people like want, want to write a book. <laughs> like what? <laughs> 80 of people want to write a book. That's a fascinating question in itself. It's like, what is the draw? What are the, isn't that crazy? But I think what's also worth noting is like your experience in publishing goes way beyond, goes so far beyond just being a multiple title author with like a, a big publisher. You have single-handedly run a six figure consulting business you've uh secured huge deals for your clients so you've seen it from like you're you're seeing the publishing industry also from like a a, a bunch of possible both angles. sides and i mean you know yeah. something to note about that like i totally stumbled into this writing coach business by accident and it really kind of proved the concept that people 
yes, people come to me because they want to get published. So people will come to me with an idea for a book and they want to get help with getting published, whether that's traditionally published or self-published or whatever. But what I really realized with working with so many clients is people are really coming to me to understand how the business works. And I think that's the missing component that no one talks about is what does happen? Like, okay, you want to write a book, I mean, which is the (laughs) podcast title of this episode. Like, so you want to write a book now what? And I really realized with, you know, I have a client who secured a six figure book deal and she is, comes to me all the time and is like, wait, what do I do? Like, what, what am I supposed to do? What, what do I expect? What is going to happen? And then I have people who have, you know, published self, they've self-published books. They want to get into the traditional world and they just don't understand anything about how it works, like how you get paid. What is the process like? Um, so I really think that we're going to be offering such great information for people who want to again, kind of lift that curtain behind the publishing industry, which can still seem a little taboo and private. I mean, again, I, I do, I straddle that line, um, with being, being a published author and I don't pull any punches. And I, I mean, I talk about money. I talk about everything that goes on behind those closed doors, even though I'm not really supposed to, or even though I'm not supposed to, but it's, it's so important that if you're gonna write a book, like if, if you go beyond just wanting to write a book and, and you're actually going to do it, that you pick the best path for you, best publication path, that you know what you're getting into, that you know how to read a contract, that you know how you get paid. You have to have that information. And I feel like so many of us, and you and I have talked about this, but so many of us just want the book deal. We just want the agent. We just want like the notoriety and acclaim of becoming a published author. I think you're right. I think not only book deal or not only like uh, uh, to sell a, sell a spec script or sell a pilot script um, and not only the notoriety, but like, I think we believe that there's a sense of completion after that. Oh happens. my God. Like and that's it's... the end. That's the end of the, that's the, <laughs> guess what? Like that is the like beginning. And also oh, I think yeah. there's a version of that, especially with like, Agents, managers, reps, editors, publishers that like, I think that these industries are so deliberately confusing They're and so confusing. mystical and untouchable that ultimately we just want to get to the point where someone else is going to do the, the work for us. And I think what we're here to say is, guess what? All of that is at your, is in your, can be in your hands. Well, it has to be um, because, I mean, that's the thing. So yes, I am traditionally published and I know a lot of people pick self-publishing actually because they do have more control and we'll, we'll talk about all the different publication paths. But the thing about being traditionally published is you can feel like you're completely in the dark. Like unless you know what questions to ask, unless you are your own best advocate, you can feel like you don't know what's going on. And over the past few years, I mean, I've talked to best-selling authors, New York Times best-selling authors who are, feel as overwhelmed as I do. I mean, it's like, wait, aren't we supposed to just be authors? Like we're having to do so much in this industry, but to the outside perspective, it's like, oh, you secured a big book deal. Oh, are you a New York Times best-selling author yet? Like within the first week of a book coming out or, oh my God, you got a movie deal. Like you must be rolling in it. I remember my husband, people, when my book came out, they would be like, oh, great. You know, when are you quitting? When are you giving your two weeks? Because they just assumed I was getting paid this exorbitant amount of money to write. And while that can be true, and I have proven the point two years in a row of making six figures just as a writer, um, you only get paid in the publishing world twice per year. Now there are some, there's some publishers who do pay differently. Amazon publishing is one of them. They pay their writers monthly, which is amazing, but getting paid twice a year with anything is a very, very tough pill to swallow. Well, and then like figuring out how you're going to live on that. Oh and yeah. Like, no, you, I mean, it's almost impossible. Yeah. I think there's this misconception that just because you land a deal, whether it be a book deal, whether it be selling a script, uh, that all of a sudden you're, you're, you're in the mix now. You're like, and what they don't realize, I mean, taxes, 
agents fees, managers fees, uh, uh, lawyer fees. Like you have no idea how much of that money is going out the window. Before I, you even get paid. Before I mean, you even yeah. get a check. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, and that's the thing. We'll talk about that on future episodes. Math Listen up, everybody. <laughs> Math is so important in this industry. Like knowing your and numbers. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, it is. I mean, and being very responsible with that money and and understanding the percentages. Like if you do have a literary agent, they take 15% right off the top. And then if you get paid, you need to put 30% away for taxes. And then what are you really left with to write a book? When you get paid for a book deal, you are usually paid in thirds anyway. So you're paid a third upon signing your contract, a third when you deliver your um, book, and then a third upon publication. And that timeline can be 18 to 24 months. So when you really start doing the math, even on a six-figure deal, it's very, very hard to live with that. So, you know, when I when I work with writers and, you know, going back to this episode topic at hand, if people want to write a book, I mean, I always start from the top with what their writing goals are. Because most people come to me and they're like, I want to be a best-selling author and be on the Today Show. And I'm like, well, that's great. But like, <laughs> I do want to you write really? the great American novel. I want to write the great American novel. I mean, we, again, we all have these dreams. It's like being a millionaire or, or doing any of those things. But why? Is that what you really want? Or is that what you're kind of taught to believe, you know? So we're sort of here. I mean, not sort of. Uh, that is absolutely. <laughs> that's definitely one Scratch of my that. verbal tics. I constantly use "sort of" when I write, sort or of speak um, all the time because like, apparently I'm unsure of what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's okay. This is real. Way to sound like a professional, Job okay. Tower. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> but um, you are a really good editor. I am a really good editor. That's right. So I can tell you when you're using "sort of" too that's much, right. but I am not a good self-editor. I think that's what we're here to do is we're here to tell you, to give you the tools and to like take away the surprise of everything after the book is done, after the manuscript is written. This is not a, a, a process podcast. Yes. We're, not a, we're not a process service and not, right. not that that's wrong. We just feel like there are plenty of podcasts and plenty of services out there that are more geared towards helping writers write. And that is great. And that's very important. But it's also the process of writing that manuscript, the process of turning an idea into a story, the process of really sitting down and like watering the seed and getting that plant to grow. That's a fraction of the overall journey of turning your creative pursuits into career realities. And, and it kills me that all these, so I've done, gosh, 60 events in the last two years with my first two books. And Every single conference I have been to or every single author talk I've been to has been all around process. Or when I go and speak, it's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about the process to publication, the path to publication, which is always really interesting. But I always use that as an opportunity to speak about the business. And I've had several people come up to me and be like, oh, my God, like no authors ever talk to us about the business of writing and what comes after you finish that book or get that deal and that is the stuff that matters. And that's the stuff that is going to determine whether you stay um, in this career and you build a career. I mean, it's definitely, it's de it definitely takes time. I mean, this is something to be earned. You know, they're all, the, they're all the, <laughs> those assholes that get like the seven figure deals right out of the gate. And then, you know, they're... When they're still in grad school. Yeah, when they're still in grad school. We hate them. But... Fuck you yes. guys. But I mean, first if all. you have if you have the information, you know what to do with your project, what to expect, what what your goals are really, uh, how you're going to get paid, how you're going to sell your books and you know that really gets into author platform which we're going to be talking a lot about on this podcast as well. But what we're really helping people do is just know what to do next by creating a roadmap that's tailored to you and to what you want as a writer, as an author, as a self-published author, as a traditionally published author, because it's so overwhelming. I mean, there's so much information. It is still an industry where there is not one key to success. Um, I mean, you ask anyone and they will tell you a million different things. Hire a publicist. Don't hire a publicist. Do book tours. No, don't do book tours. You know, do Facebook ads. Nope, don't do Facebook ads. I mean, it's it's so overwhelming. And I, I think that that... And it changes, it changes all the time. I don't know about, you know, yeah. 
I think obviously like in the publishing industry, I'm sure it's changing constantly too. We've talked a lot about the advent of social media. Oh yeah. The landscape has changed and is changing yep. every day. It is. And I mean, I think it's changing in really good ways in, in some capacity, but then in other ways, traditionally it's very antiquated too. Um, I mean, Amazon publishing is coming in there and really disrupting the market. They're really taking good care of their writers they again are paying them monthly. Who'd have thought? Yeah, who'd have thought? Who'd have right? Thought, right? What? what a concept! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not that I mean. Again, it, this is not to be like disparaging against any sort of industry, but but I do think you have to go into it with your eyes wide open because I've had several clients, like in 2019 alone, ten of my clients landed top agents and literary agents and book deals, and I don't think any of them understand exactly what they're getting themselves into, even though I've, I've tried to kind of talk to them about that, but there's just so much that goes into it. So, I mean, kind of taking a step back and giving a high level overview is let's start from the top. So let's say you do want to write a book. Um, where the hell do you start? Um, so I kind of go through these, these three specific Things And I start, this is where I start with all of my nonfiction book proposal clients. This is totally applicable to fiction as well. But the first one that I think is so important is knowing what you're selling. So, and a lot, that term sell, people are like, well, that's not synonymous with books, but your book is a product to sell. So once you start- Sorry to say. Yeah, sorry, sorry to, to say, say. This is but the But it truth. is. It's yeah. not your baby. It's it's not something to get emotionally attached to. It is a product. And this is something we've talked about before. We've talked about it with, with books. We've talked about it with screenplays. If you want to write a, a, a book, a nonfiction book, a novel, a memoir, a screenplay, whatever- and you don't want to have to think about it in terms of selling it, and you just want to do it for the sake of the art of it, then write it and then put it in your desk drawer and let it sit there forever and, and, gather, and, and gather dust. And I mean, if you were writing just to fulfill, you know, um, some sort of hobby or- Which is fucking great, by the way. Do it. That is great. Yeah, no, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, I kind of miss the days of just writing to write and there were no deadlines or expectations <laughs> or anything like that. But Do you remember you do that? Wanna, do you even um, recall? <laughs> yes, I do. I do recall that. Um, but you have to know what you're selling and the differences between the path to selling those. So if you're writing a novel, you write the novel completely you would hopefully get it edited and polished, get it as good as it's going to be and have it ready to go. Now, if you're going to write a nonfiction book, what a lot of people don't know is you do not sell the book itself. You create what's called a nonfiction book proposal, which is basically like a roadmap for your book. And this is what people hire me to do. You've helped out a lot on these as well. They're documents that they can be shorter, but mine are usually about 60 to 100 pages and it really shows a clear understanding of what your book is about, who you are, how you're going to sell it, what the book is going to contain, what genre it fits in. And it in this first question, like or first point in knowing what you're selling, you also have to know, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, where your book is going to sit on a bookshelf. 100%. Um, yeah, not, not knowing exactly is a huge problem up front. Like I, I see a lot of people that write, they want to sell their books, but they haven't done the due diligence first. And you can do a lot of this first before you ever start writing a book, which is great. But you have to know what your product is. You have to get really, really, really familiar with it. Do your research, see what's out there, see what's selling, go into a bookstore Go to your genre, go to that bookshelf and see what's out there. See what is on the best-selling list, you know, and, and really get familiar with that. So, And not to move backwards too, but yeah. definitely, uh, you know, to your first point about uh, as you finish that manuscript, you've hopefully, you've had it edited, you've had eyes on it. I, as an editor... <clears throat> Do make sure he edits. Do make sure edit that a lot better than you speak. I, Jesus, I know. Right? I'm, I kidding. Know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I would rather it be on the page. Rhea. I don't. I don't yeah. want to have to say it. I'm not an orator. <laughs> what was I saying? What was oh, I? Again. <laughs> oh my god! Fucking. You a, were talking man. about uh, as an edit as an editor. As, as an editor. Yeah, get the fucking thing done and get it. Make sure that it's 
errors, mistakes. You just like don't want. This is one of the things that really like sort of shocks me. And this is where I go back to that 80% of people want to write a book. And I. And this have, is why I don't want to edit fiction. I know. I know you don't. <laughs> but that's my job. That's where I. Yep. But I, I look at that and I'm like, okay, 80% of you say you want to write a book. Even, even if it's 80% of you want to write and sell a book, if you, want, if you really have this end to write your book, if you really feel strongly about this story, if you really want to get out there and put, put – you're putting this thing out into the world – I can't tell you how many manuscripts have crossed my desk where I take one look at the first 1500 words and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) But I mean, but it, but it is true. But I think a lot of people are like, well, I can't afford to hire an editor, which is a valid point. Y'all got friends. Y'all got, there are, my suggestion for that would be because I've, I've run into it time and time again. I will say as a fiction writer myself, we are the cheapest assholes on the face of the planet. We do not want to spend any sort of money on that. And I know a lot of people who have spent, you know, $5,000 on a developmental editor, which as you know, it's also subjective. Um, And it's really hard to find like a standard for editing for fiction. But if you do not want to hire an editor or, you know, even have an editorial eye on it, find trusted beta readers that are not in your family. <laughs> never family, and never spouse. Never family, never spouse, unless they happen to be an Legitimately, editor. that's where the excuses begin, though. The sure. excuses begin right there. Like, I can't afford an editor. If you go on Twitter, there's this huge, like, global network of people who are looking out for each other. I have seen people post shit about their novel manuscripts, their nonfiction books, their screenplays, saying, hey, would anybody be willing to look at this? I don't have a lot of money to spend, or I don't have any money to spend. And the comment threads of people saying, yo, send it my way. Part of why we're here is to show people where their resources are, but also like be willing to look for the resources also. Be willing to look for, or, you know, joining a writing group of diverse people, or, I mean, that is why we, so we've created this arm of our company at Rightway. Um, It's the editorial forensics department. So what I've found is when people come to me or have come to me in the past or to you and they want a developmental edit. So they want like a super serious hands-on edit is it can feel really jarring to a writer when someone changes your work or makes suggestions that you don't agree with. So we have come up with a service. We are going to read your manuscript diagnose it to give you our professional opinion on maybe why it's not selling. We're really kind of giving you, giving you the job of fixing it, getting it ready to submit to the world. Um, and it's a little bit, I think it's a, it's a more gentle approach to the editing process, which again can feel really jarring. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, you know, I think for the most part, this is something that we've talked about, obviously like with clients that we've either uh, worked with together Uh, or even separately when we're sort of commiserating about it, is that a lot of writers, and this is another thing we'll cover over the course of the season on the podcast, this is another thing that we can cover, you know, uh, in in digital coursework, is a lot of writers don't know what kind of edit they're asking for when they ask for an edit, right? Uh, Copy edit, format edit, style style edit, uh, developmental edit, like, these are all terms that, like, uh, a little bit conflated, Uh, people get confused about, uh, about which is which, so I think that's a problem. And then, yeah, I think our editorial forensics department is is the answer to um, finding the harmony between the author's voice and uh, the demands of a very fickle marketplace. It is very fickle. And I mean, once you get through that, so say you have a beautifully edited book or you've edited it and it's, or you've had several people read it and it's polished and ready to go. The other thing that we're going to be offering is a query letter creation (laughs) um, arm of our business where, I mean, again, I can't tell you how many people I've worked with where they have this great manuscript and they go to pitch it to a literary agent and their query letters are terrible. Um, Same thing with nonfiction book proposal, whereas the nonfiction book proposal is really a sales tool to get an agent interested. Your query letter is kind of the same thing. It needs to be compelling. It needs to hit all the right points at the right time. It needs to have 
the right information, but not too much. It needs to be a certain length. It needs to show that you've done your research on that agent because you're the one that's choosing the agent and not the other way around. And same and with I think the querying, like which agents you're querying, by the way, too, right? Exactly. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Know who the like hell it you're, needs... you're asking to read your manuscript. Right. Yeah. And, and so many, you know, authors get so, so excited and just like, I'm just going to query 50 to 100 agents. And what I do, and I always suggest, is you choose five. You choose five only, five that you have researched five that represent competitive titles in your genre or authors that you really admire and look up to. You've done your research, you've looked into their submission requirements, or you talk to people who are represented by, you know, said agent and can put it a good word for you. And that's what I do with my nonfiction book proposals. When clients hire me, I actually pitch to a group of literary agents that I have very good relationships with. My agent is one of them. And that way I'm getting, number one, I'm getting your proposal directly on their desk. It's not going into a slush pile. It's not going to sit there forever. And I hate to say that like, oh, it is about who you know, but relationships are everything in this business. And if, if you want to kind of do your research and get out there, it's amazing how many authors are actually approachable via Instagram or via Twitter or sending a direct message. It's a very friendly community. And if you want to learn, don't be afraid to ask. Like that is, that is my totally. biggest thing. And also, also legitimately like a truth about this industry is not made suddenly untrue just because you don't want it to be true. So like you said before, there's no one blanket answer for all of this, but uh, there are components to this industry you may not like that you may have to engage in if if you want to if you want to get further if you want to turn this into a career. Absolutely, I think one of the things that we talked. I'm sorry to interrupt you again, but I think one of the things that we talked about that we will talk about that right way in general is sort of touting as one of its uh, caveats is this is a this is we're gonna we're talking hard and fast crash course truth here. And we're trying to sort of break down the ego yes. oh, God. <laughs> uh, that you that you might be hanging on to that might be stopping you from getting further. Because if you want to make it in this industry, if you want to make it as a screenwriter, if you want to make it, you know, whatever. I think one of the first things you got to lose is the ego. Oh, my because God. Beyond. It's either going to happen or you're going to struggle and the industry is going to do it to you. Well, no. And we're going to talk a lot about that. Like we've had, you and I have had massive disappointments in both of our industries. And of course, you have to be resilient. You have to be able to take rejection. You do absolutely need to drop your ego. And what I always remind a lot of people and myself is it's not a competition. (laughs) You know, there's enough success to go around for everyone. And I, I mean, I will be totally honest when Not Her Daughter, my first book came out in 2018, I spent $20,000 on a publicist. I killed myself with events and I had this delusional idea that I was going to sell like a hundred thousand copies that first week. You know, we reach publicity wise, we reach 12 million people on launch day. And I remember being so surprised by my numbers week one, which weren't terrible by any means. Um, but I had to really check myself and my expectations because I was building them off of huge best-selling authors that I looked up to, but that's not where they started. And that's when I really realized like, oh, I have to earn this. I, it, I'm going to learn book by book by book by book. And there is no room for ego in this. And it's been a constant, I mean, I've been to bookstore events with five people in the room. I've been to events with a hundred people in the room. I, I've, you know, I, I mean, it's just, you, you experience a true array of emotions in this industry. It's never, you're never going to be super high or super low. It's a total roller coaster. It changes all the time. And I think you just, that's why you have to get so clear on your specific goals um, and really make sure that they're yours and that your ego isn't talking and that you're wanting things for the right reasons. Because this is so true. And I've said it so many times, but People think that a book deal, a movie deal, something like that is going to change you fundamentally, is going to make you happier, is going to make you more money, is going to give you, you know, 
just more of something and it couldn't be further from the truth. You're still going to be the same person. I remember when I got my two book deal initially with St. Martin's Press, the next day I was, you know, at soccer practice with my daughter and after my book launch, like, well, back in the pickup line, like still have to get groceries, still have to go do all the things, still have to pay the bills. I mean, it don't have a fucking butler yet. Yeah, no, no, no. Like it did not change anything at all. And I went into it knowing that like, it's something that I wanted, but I knew it wasn't going to change me. And I think dropping the ego is everything. Yeah. Dropping the ego. I think realizing that you're going to be just fine overall. Yes. Like you're, either way. Either way. And I, I think, um, you know, no tier of success. Again, none of these are, none of this is terminal. Like you, you get a book deal, <laughs> then all you want is the next book deal. Oh my uh, God. You, you know, are you, so you right get about one that. thing and you just want the next or the reverse is also true, which can be equally frustrating. You can kill yourself, break your, you know, calloused fingers on your, on your laptop keyboard, pumping out this screenplay that you love. And you finally get it in somebody's hands, and the first thing they're going to ask is, great, what else you got? What else you got? You know, you got to be prepared for the industry as well. Or like in your case, like, oh, my God, you do all this work to get your first book out. And then the very next thing you got to think about is what's okay, cool. What's the second book? Oh, my God. I'm so 2018, Not Her Daughter came out. That was book one. I am now writing book four, just wrapped up book three, three, book two just came out. I mean, it's I have not had time to take a fucking breath in between. I have not. I mean, I'm homeschooling my daughter. We're, we're building this business. Like you don't have time to even sit with your successes. And I think if I could go back and do it all over again, if, and when, whether you self-publish your book, whether you choose a hybrid publisher, whether you do get traditionally published, take time to actually celebrate those wins. Um, I mean, this career is a succession of small wins. It's not the big thing. It's not when you, you know, hit that best-selling list or get a really great review, um, you know, in the New York Times or land in a magazine. I mean, that didn't happen suddenly overnight. It, it starts from the very beginning in those small little moments that people don't often see. And I think we do so much of this to, to feel validated. And mm. the only person who can really validate you is yourself. And if you if you really can take that in and realize that, you, if you're doing this for validation, if you're doing it for outside validation, then you don't need to do it because you will perpetually be disappointed. I tell people that all the time. Like, no one is going to universally love your book. No one's going to universally hate it. But like, you have to universally love it and be proud of it. And that has to be enough because you cannot control what readers are going to think, what the market dictates, how many books you sell. Like, you cannot control that. So I think the more that you do this work up front before you even get published, oh my God, the better mentally you're going to be. Because I've had a few points where I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, I am depressed right now. Like yeah. I went into such a funk after my first book was published. I mean, I was down in a way that I have not been down in so long. And I've had those points along the way where I'm questioning, like, what am I doing? Like, who am I doing this for anymore? Like what... What do, what do I even want? I mean, and I think you constantly have to check yourself and check in with yourself to see if you're really doing this um, for the right reasons. And Well, and, and it doesn't the... happen once and then it's over. Like you don't no, write the first book, fall into a depression, come out of it, and then never experience a depression again. I mean, why do like... you think writers are alcoholics? I mean, this is <laughs> no joke. Like I drink more wine now than I ever have. It's, it's uh, I'm not kidding. Um, so I, that is not a joke. <laughs> no, it is not a joke. Uh, I totally hijacked. Oh no, no, no. It's fine. Like you were talking about your three questions. About yes. Where three you questions. Start with... Gosh. <laughs> so we were talking so about knowing what you're selling, knowing who yes. you're selling to. Yeah. So no, yeah. So know what you're selling is number one. And we talked way too long about that. But, um, the second one is knowing who you are selling to. So again, this can be before you even get your book written, but you have to look at who your primary reader is. What do they read? Where do they show up online? What social media platforms are they using? And okay, so I get people all the time, like that's one of the questions I ask, you know, who who's your target market? What's your specific reader? And they'll be like everyone or entrepreneurs or moms. And while that's cool, if your book has broad appeal, you have to get as specific as possible. So a lot of time with business books that I work on, 
you know, the, a bad example is saying like, oh, my target market, one of my target markets is entrepreneurs. If you can get really niche with that and say like, no, my target market is millennial females on the path to entrepreneurship, then you're really honing in on a subset of your audience. Um, and, you know, maybe finding three different audience segments of your readers and, and look at where they are. And I tell people all the time, you know, if you can connect with these people in an authentic way before you have a product to sell. So an example of that would be like, okay, I just, I just wrote, um, a novel and it's in the suspense genre. So I'm going to get online. I'm going to see what books to grammars out there. If you don't know what a books to grammar is, go on Instagram and put in hash, you know, hashtag search for books to grammars. And they are the most supportive community, but look at what books they are sharing in your suspense category. What authors are writing suspense books? Can you connect with them? Can you share their books? So when you have a book to finally share, it'll be something based on reciprocity. So if you're if you're sharing posts, if you're doing reviews, if you're reaching out to, to authors and readers and really cultivating a very organic audience early, then when you have something to share, it won't feel salesy. I mean, I feel like that's a constant struggle with novelists versus nonfiction. When you have a nonfiction book to sell, it's a little bit easier because most nonfiction authors either have a business or a brand or they're an expert in their field. So it then becomes a product that goes in line with their other offerings. So it's a lot easier to kind of naturally have a book to sell that way. So it doesn't feel super, super pushy. It just feels like an extra product. When you're novelist, and I mean, I struggle with this all the time on social media. I'm like, how many times can I say like, hey, I've got a book, like you should buy it. So you have to get strategic for promoting your products, but finding those readers, I mean, knowing that demographic down to, again, specific things like their age, what what social media are they on? What publications are they reading? What thought leaders do they follow? What do they like? What problem can you solve for them? Why are they coming to you? Well, um, and I, I think it's such good advice that you're offering too, to like be part of the community. Be part of the a community is everything. It's And my, uh, you know, my, um, my writing partner in LA and I, he and I uh, have just in the last year started to get a little bit of attention, a little bit of traction. And we started going to a lot of these mixers, like screenwriter mixers, because we want to be, it's super important because the people that you're engaging with in that community now when you're just starting out are going to be the people that are maybe going to hire you for something or maybe going to buy something from you further down the line. Or maybe they're going to be someone that you're going to work with further down the line. And that investment, you can find a support system with people that are going through exactly the same shit that you're going through. So why would you not want to be part of that? Exactly. But I, you know, I hear a common a common um, excuse for that. And I mean, I I've said it too, is like, I don't have time. Like I do not have the time. I don't like social media. I don't want to be on there. And it's not just social media. Like you can cultivate a community in real life. Remember that when people used to actually go out and like <laughs> meet people and, you know, meet face to face. A hundred percent. But again, there's where the excuses begin. Oh, completely. So yeah. The question is, I mean, all of these questions are important, but the question is, you want to write a book, now what? And if your answer to every demand that comes along after that isn't, okay, I'll try, then put it back in the desk drawer and let it sit and collect dust. Yep. That's the answer. Exactly. It is, because that that's the thing. I mean, gosh, the excuse thing is huge. I mean, we- And I'm great at it. I'm- Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm great at it, tier, too. Man. I am A1. I'm 40 years old, and I just, you know- Finished my first screenplay like two well, years ago. Well, for even finishing something, but I mean, I think a really easy way to hack that is, you know, you got to look at your behavior around your excuses because we all have it. We all, you know, stay in our comfort zones and just ask yourself, okay, let's work backwards. Like what actions would an author take? How would an author act? Like what does an author do? And then start doing those things too. It's all about behavior and it's all about, who you want to be. So if you want to be a screenwriter and not someone who tries to get a screenplay done, then you'll write the fucking screenplay period. Yeah, exactly. You know right. what I mean? Like it's, you yeah. have to, if you hate social media, but you want to connect with people, 
literally carve out 10 straight minutes a day or 20 minutes and do it then. You put it on your calendar, you honor that time, you're not mindlessly scrolling, you're doing it to cultivate something, you're doing it because it's gonna add value when and if you get published. And I'm telling you the the single reason besides bad ideas that people aren't getting published, especially in the nonfiction world, is a lack of author platform, which an author platform means all different types of things. A lot of people think it's social media, but it really is just who you are connected to and with who is your community. You have to have a built-in community of readers who want to buy whatever it is that you're selling. And for fiction, it's a little bit less important, but if you sell it- But still, and one of the things I wanted to mention about you know answering the question, knowing who you're selling to when you want to write a book, you're even when you're writing, I don't care. I don't care what kind of fiction book you're writing. I don't care what genre it is. I don't care. I don't care. Your audience is not people that are going to buy your book. Right. You're doing that equation wrong. You got to figure out who your book is for. I yep. mean, I always come back, you know, to a few uh, a few of the writers that came out of the program we did in Chicago. I think for a, a, a long stretch of time, there were writers there who not only found a genre, but found such a specific audience that when they had a book come out, they were going into multiple, multiple print runs because those people were coming back to the well constantly. Absolutely. So like, you gotta, yeah, this, these are, these are, these are the, this is, these are the order of the questions. Like, I think, I think we get, when ego runs the brain, what we're doing is like, well, yeah, my my audience for this book is people that are going to want to read this book. And that is... But, yeah, unless you're connected to those people or, you know, I see a lot of people who try to get traditionally published. They can't. Um, they give up and they're like, fuck it. I'm just going to go self-publish a book, which is great and on so many levels, unless you don't have anyone to buy that book. The purpose of writing a book is to get it out there for people to read. Unless again, like we said, you're just writing to write. That's one thing, but there's no point in self-publishing if no one is going to read your book. If five people are going to read your book. I know there's a very grim statistic about, you know, the average lifetime sales of a book is 3000 copies, but there's also so many books that sell 500,000 copies, a million copies. Why not you too? But that means why not you too? Why not you too? And but that means putting in the work. You cannot write something, sit back on your laurels, and be like, "I'm a best-selling author." Like it doesn't work that way. (laughs) You have to work. I have worked harder than I ever had, and when I hit my goal of what I actually want, I'm gonna feel like I really earned it. Nothing was given to me. I've learned so much. It is. And it's, it's learning. And I actually do like the journey. It's not the destination. The destination is a blip on the map. And let me tell you, it is so depressing. It is. It's so depressing. The moment it's over. It's just like, you're on this high and then what? So if that's what you're chasing, you're chasing all these like shiny stars, you're going to be so disappointed because that is just a moment. You have to enjoy what you're doing. You have to want to learn about all of this, it's not for the faint of heart. Oh my God, is it not not for the faint of heart? So yeah, and so you want to write a book, uh, fucking, you better nut up. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, write the book, but then know what comes after. Know what to do next. Speaking so, up, so yes, now so uh, know, know what you're selling, know who you're selling it to, what is, what yes, else? Yes, the final thing in this piece is know how you're selling. And we've touched on this a little bit. Super important, yeah, yeah. So yeah. important. So again, first- Well, you've mentioned self-publishing a couple of times. Yeah, and just deciding on your writing goals. So if you're wanting to sell a million copies of your book and you're wanting to do it in this big way or you're wanting to make money or you just want to write this so your family can read it, that should kind of dictate what publishing path you take. So currently there are three publishing outlets, I guess you could say, where self-publishing, which is you are paying to pretty much do everything. You're paying to design, edit, compile your book, whatever way you want. You're uploading it um, into a system like Amazon, and then it's available for sale. And you are reaping 100% of those benefits um, of the book sold. Um, actually, I think it's, I think you just get a higher royalty, right? You're not getting a hundred percent of those profits, but you're getting more money than any other 
publication path. So self-publishing is you're in control. You're in a hundred percent control of every decision, but you do not have distribution to bookstores or anything on that large scale, unless you're out there hustling and talking to independent booksellers. The standard quote unquote, um, publication path is the traditional publishing model. Whereas you were trying to get someone to purchase your book for a price There are all kinds of publishers out there. There are also those known as the big five, which are are the big, big boys. Um, I'm with Macmillan, which is one of them. And you usually need a literary agent uh, in order to get your foot in that door and sell your book to an editor. Um, This is where I always start with my clients too. Like, why not try to get paid to publish a book first before you're paying to get a book published and the traditionally published. 100%. Yeah. And cause you're getting, you're getting swing for the fences, but you're getting an in-house team with that. You're getting an in-house sales and marketing team an in-house publicist. You're getting an editor, you're getting all kinds of help. You're getting wide distribution into stores. Like my books in target and Walmart and Costco and every bookstore. I mean, that's just, the so stuff let of, me ask you this worth it to ask. Sorry to put you on the spot. But as uh, an author with one of the big five and as uh, an an author, not only an author with the big five, but an author who has other uh, shitty nonfiction books, (laughs) (laughs) I would, I didn't say that, but who is published with smaller outfits as well. Can you, can you just briefly touch on like maybe what do you lose? What do you gain? Oh, that's a, that, yeah, that's what a is, great, you know. that's a great question. So yeah. Um, in my early days of writing, like I had a, <laughs> I had a novel published, uh, right before I graduated college. It is a book we do not speak of because it's so terrible. I pretend it didn't exist. Um, and that was just the tiniest publisher ever. Stop it. Oh, well, Stop it. yeah. Um, and uh, we have this conversation all the time. We do, but wow, it was bad. Um, so from there I had four nonfiction books published with midsize, like small to midsize publishers. Um, now the thing about nonfiction is again, you need that author platform. You need that baked in audience to sell your books. And I just didn't do the work in that arena. Like I could write the book, but, and I, you know, I got on TV and did radio shows and all that stuff, but the sales were just kind of blah. Um, now I did get a lot of personal attention with, um, one publisher in particular, who's, it's one of my favorite publishers. Um, they're called Agate, um, and they are out of Illinois. Actually, they are so hands-on and they did such a great job with my book, Power Vegan. Um, but again, I learned a lot in terms of just, oh, wow. If you don't have an author platform, like you're really not going to sell this book. When I moved over to the big five, um, in 2018, you know, again, I didn't have a fiction audience. I had abandoned fiction for about 10 years. So I really felt like I was starting from scratch, but because your lead time to publication is so long with a traditional publisher. So I had 18 months to try to find my readers. I created an Instagram account. I connected with that community and I really just picked one. I wanted to focus put all my energy into one platform, which is such a good piece of advice because you don't have to do them all. Do one really, really well. Find where your readers are. If they're on Facebook, if they're on Twitter, or if they're on Instagram and and start there. And you don't have to start with social media, but that's where I started. And oh my God, I mean, the 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 people were so responsive. I mean, again, I was starting out as a no-name but I got so much support um, from my publishing team, from my in-house and outside publicity team. And they really set the foundation to kind of make me, you know, a name that people who read Domestic Suspense would know. And the blurbs we secured from some of my favorite authors to panels I served on to publications that I was in, like next to, <laughs> on a, a bookshelf, like next to Stephen King and Leon Moriarty and I mean just crazy stuff. It it's night and day in terms of kind of what what kind of attention you're getting. Um now I have not published fiction with like a mid-sized publisher, but I know so many people love the small and mid-sized publishers because you do get so much personal attention. And that is the risk with one of the big 5 is they have so many books they're putting out 
a year um, that sometimes it's hard to get publisher support unless you're a lead title. And publisher support is the number one thing for really getting your book up into that best-selling status. Like you need the support from your publisher. So I work a lot with clients on kind of just their contracts and and knowing, you know, the kind of support they're going to get and what questions to ask and things like that. But um, it's been a really cool experience to to have done both. But for those who like maybe don't want to traditionally publish, they don't want to self-publish, hybrid publishing is really kind of this new cool thing that's coming up. Um, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. You're still paying a fee to, you know, have an editor and like an in-house team, but your book is getting published and you will get some distribution in bookstores. However, you get more creative control. You are working kind of in tandem with the publisher versus just being the author and sometimes feeling like, I don't know what's going on, what's going on. (laughs) You have a little bit more transparency that way. So the great thing is if you have a book, you absolutely can get it published a hundred percent. Like if you want to do it, you will get it published. It's just figuring out which path is right for you. And these are, I mean, not only options for people that have written a book, but again, this is a question they got to ask themselves and be able to answer. As exactly. Well. And, and only you can do that. You can't, I mean, that's the thing. I feel like we outsource so much like, Oh, well, what should I do? Or what did this person do? Or, Oh, a hundred. You know, we give away all our power do. though. We give away all of our fucking This shit. is your book. This is your career. These are your goals. Don't look at what Sally is doing or Joe Schmo, not Joe tower, but <laughs> Joe Schmo. Don't look at what they're doing. Look at what you want to do. What do you want to do? And I I think that's where a huge misstep is, is not sitting long enough to figure out what do I really want? Yeah. What do I want out of this? Like, what do I want want out of it? Yeah. But we're, but we're also very outcome based too, right? Like we only focus on the outcome instead of kind of the systems to get us there. If you want to sell 1 million copies of your book, you can't just like, put it out into the universe and then be like, I'm going to manifest this. I'm going to manifest. No. Yeah, you're going to manifest you having to buy a million copies of your book. A million copies, which that is, let me tell you, so many people who hit the New York Times bestseller, bestselling list, like you can buy your way onto that list. I mean, that's the thing. Like hitting a list is is momentary and it's, oh man, it's just such a subjective world. So being very clear about your objectives, um, publishing a book is a huge monumental achievement. I don't care if you self-publish. I don't care if it sits in your drawer. Writing a book is a huge fucking monumental it's, achievement. It's huge. It, it's, it's so big. And I don't think we, we sit with that enough. Like I, I was just finishing up my third book, turning it back in. And I'm like, I have written 400,000 words, 500,000 words in, in the book world alone. Like not even factoring in what I've done for book proposal clients, but it's kind of crazy and I haven't taken a moment to sit with that because it's always on to the next thing. So, And this is all stuff, you know, BTW to everyone who's listening. This is all stuff we're going to be going into in depth over the course of this podcast, over the course of this season. We're going to be diving into like other aspects of the industry. We're going to be diving into screenwriting design. We're going to be covering into like really trying to make every effort and give you all the tools to turn your your true creative aspirations into career realities. Because at a certain point, and I appreciate, and I'm sure you do too, Rhea, like the idea that, like you were saying before, we were talking about the idea of like just writing for the joy of it. That is a thing, but also... What is that? What is that? What is that <laughs> about? to know. But also... <laughs> Making money and paying your mortgage is also a thing. It is. And I mean, do you know how many times I hear people say, oh, well, you just can't make money as a writer. And that was my belief growing up is like, oh, you want to be a writer? Well, great. You'll never make money at it. Bullshit. You can make... as can be done. It 100% can be done. And you can make as much or as little money as you want, but but you have to figure out the path to make money. If you're hinge, hinging it all on becoming a best-selling author and you, you're not putting in the work, then no, you're you're not going to make money, but you, you can. It's been proven time and time again. And I think we listen to those other voices and we listen to 
the realities that other people might have experienced instead of it's like the news, right? Like it's only the bad shit. Where's the news station with all the good stuff that's happening in the world? Like, why don't we listen to that and listen to those voices and see those examples? Go find the writer that you want to be like, study every single thing that they have done, reach out to them, ask them questions. Like I've been told I'm very, very responsive with, with my readers. And I think that that is so important to connect with the people who are spending money to spend time in your world, you better be responsive. Like I would have nothing if I did not have readers buying my books. And yeah, so. No, but true. But, and probably something we'll cover <laughs> in a future episode. I, I mean, we, so if any of this interests you, please, uh, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're, you're listening to this podcast right now, do subscribe to the podcast. Do review and rate the podcast. And if there are, you know, address in, in, in your review, please tell us what you liked. Please tell us what you're missing. Yes, what you're missing. This is for you. And we'll have we'll definitely have ways for you to get in contact with us directly. So if there's anything that you want covered on the podcast, uh, guests, future guests that we'll have, anything that you're dying to know. So that's the kind of stuff we will be talking about on, uh, on this podcast. I think it's also important for us to address why the hell us why are we here who are who are we what are we doing here who are we um uh so ria what are we doing here why are we here (laughs) well okay so joe and i have a very crazy story we have known each other since college and which is yeah we're we're pressing we're getting into the oh god double i mean uh, like a double yeah no we are in the double yeah we we Totally are. Uh, I think I want a, a good, a, a really fun fact that I definitely want people to know is that Rhea oh boy. was the valedictorian <laughs> of my college graduating class. Yes, I'm a nerd. <laughs> um, but Joe and I did meet. We went to Columbia in Chicago. We were... Um, Wait, so you were were you getting your master's though? No, or I, undergrad? I, I just I'd actually transferred from DePaul, I think. But were you still undergrad? I was still undergrad. Yeah. You were you were sort of mythic yeah. already uh, in the in the in the creative writing department. Um not only because you were a fabulous writer, but because uh you had you you had just survived a really intense which I don't wanna you know I, Oh no, it's fine. Um you just had like brain surgery. I did. So my freshman year of college, I was a competitive boxer, ended up having to get brain surgery before competition. Thank God I did. If I'd gotten hit in the head one more time, I would have died. Um, and it's fucking nuts, it was crazy. So I got brain surgery, my first surgery when I was 19 over my spring break, 42 staples in my head, four metal plates, 16 screws. Um, I'm like the bionic. Uh, woman or something. You are the bionic (laughs) woman. It's true. But I wrote, I remember I wrote what became my first novel, A Woman's Ring, like over that break because I didn't know what else to do. Um, And, but I remember like Joe was just, he used to piss me off because he is such a good writer. And I just was very, back then I was very competitive. (laughs) not competitive at all now at at all all. anymore um but we we had just a wonderful friendship a wonderful relationship and then can i also say can i say something else to date us yes the very first time we met in person (laughs) we were in blockbuster video (laughs) i was in a blockbuster video god i miss blockbuster yeah i miss blockbusters and i was getting married when i was 22 like an idiot and then got divorced. And then you've been divorced now for a year? Yeah, uh, a year and more. A year and a few months have been uh, apart and uh, divorced now for, yeah, a year and almost a half. So we're we're killing it. We are crushing <laughs> the marriage we're, game, We are crushing y'all. it. We are. Um, I'm remarried. I've been remarried for 10 years, which is insane. Well, so that, yeah, but... so we had a, we were very close in college. And then when we, when we had a class together, uh, we were, uh, I was actually in grad school. Yes. And then we kind of drifted for a really long time. Yeah. Like a really long time. Long enough for you to get married, have a daughter. Get married, have a baby. uh, (laughs) And for her to grow up into a tiny adult. Yes, which she is obsessed with Joe. She loves him. She's even slapped him on the ass and told him not (laughs) to have a fixed mindset. Um, 
Gotta oh my, my God. I've never been told by a six-year-old, <laughs> seven, seven-year-old that I'm indulging in a fixed mindset. Yep, it's like that was amazing. definitely a first. It's great. Me. But we, we've only, we only reconnected a little, what, a little over a year ago, I guess. Yeah, I got and just about, like just about like a year on the nose. Which is insane. Like. And we've cultivated. We like bookended it by a solid, like, like a solid decade. Yeah. We're going to write a book about it called The Decade. The Decade. <laughs> Um, but it's been so crazy and so fortuitous, but during that time, um, we've spoken about it a little bit, but yeah, over the past 10 years, um, again, I had the four nonfiction books. I do have a four book deal with St. Martin's press, um, did get a movie deal for the first book. Second book has just kind of come out, but again, over that time, the past 18 months or so, this writing coach business has kind of organically taken off by referral only. Again, clients coming to me, trying to get published, more so understanding the publishing industry. And I really thought like, huh, there's there is something to this. And I want to create something that is a little bit more substantive in as a business. Um, so that is kind of why we created Right Way. Again, we offer three things. We do offer the one-to-one nonfiction book proposal creation for a much higher fee we offer the editorial forensics department, uh, which has several services that Joe runs. And then for people who can't really afford to work one-on-one or afford to hire an editor or just want more of the information, we are launching a line of digital courses. Our first one is, so you want to write a book, now what? And it's going to be offered for $97 and you're going to get everything. You're going to know what to do, what publication path to take, how to get your book sold. Um, a lot of the things we've talked about here, but in a much more cohesive strategic format, but that will only be offered for a limited time, but we're going to continuously put out these courses that are more affordable than maybe hiring someone one-on-one. Um, so that's what I've been doing and also homeschooling my daughter and trying not to lose my shit and become an alcoholic, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> I mean, definitely the last thing about trying not to uh-huh. become an alcoholic has been a huge, huge uh, it's, full it's, court press for me in the last 10 years. I did not even start drinking until, honestly, until the past few years. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is so much more fun, but it's also really terrible. Both simultaneously. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. You got to take the good with the bad. It is. Uh, yeah, similarly, I um, not similarly at all. <laughs> uh, you had a daughter? I spent, I had a daughter. She's very precocious. <laughs> Pretend daughter. Um, yeah, in the 10 years in between, I uh, worked in as a freelance editor in Chicago for a long time. I was an associate editor of F Literary Magazine. Um, ended up uh, in Los Angeles uh, at, uh, at UCLA, uh, where I also taught, um, created and produced a storytelling series called Tales of Male Folly that ran in Los Angeles and in New York. Started doing podcasts pretty early on, developing that kind of content. And uh, have a small, small multimedia company called uh, Hatbeard Company. It's also the umbrella under which my screenwriting partner and I work. Um, and then uh, in more recent years, been writing a lot for the digital space and for entertainment marketing. Written a ton of commercials for cable TV. And have just gotten into uh, content production for uh, a, a tech company. Work I very much enjoy doing. People I very much enjoy working with. And then fortuitously re-encountered, uh, re-established my uh, lifelong friendship with Rhea and we've We've been working together on um, developing some new new ways to really uh, help writers out. And in addition, Rightway is going to continue to offer more and more services for people that are looking to really make the leap from from the, uh, and that nebulous creative space is very frustrating. And I've, I've spent a lot of time there, and I, I totally get it. It's it's a hard it's a hard place to live in. Every desire, how many times? I mean, I've, I lived in LA for ten years. How many times have I heard people say, I, I really just want to do the work? And, and, and I, th- I think the call to action for us was, okay, people want to do the work. Maybe they're willing to do the work. They just don't know where to direct the work. Where do I direct the energy once the work is done or whatever? Um, and I because think that's, that's the real work. That's I mean, the, the real work. work is once it's done. And if you're not willing to take part in that, then again, it, it might not be getting your book out there or getting your product out there, your creative, whatever it is, 
out there might not be the path for you, but if why not? Why not learn something so you can kind of come up with your own answers. You don't have to flounder. Like you know where you're going, what you want, and how to get there. And like we said, like we keep saying, t- like t- you're taking that power and that responsibility and that accountability and the opportunity to gain some success into your own hands. You're staking your claim. Staking we want you to stake your, your claim. That is the yes, key. Yes, it is. It is. This really is like. I think, and I think this podcast also is like a little bit of a dream for both of us. We've spent so much time, not only at coffee shops, on the phone, in person, sort of talking about editing and writing and reading. And, and this is sort of a way for us to, you know, sit down every month and talk about the bullshit and really like, really get the truth out there and and pull the curtain back and really reveal something to you so that, so that you also can get to where you want to go. Exactly. That's the point. So go to our website. We're asking you to, well, first of all, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't. Unless it's us. Unless it's us. In (laughs) which case, don't say it. (laughs) Just find something else. Just find, I'll I'll send you a list of other podcasts that you can listen to instead. That's right. Uh, Go to our website, rightwayco.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-W-A-Y-C-O.com. You will find email contacts for both uh, Rhea and myself and also Rhea's husband, Alex, who's our creative director. And then sign up for Rhea's limited digital course. Uh, you want to write a book? Now what? It's going to be popping. Yes, it's going to be. It's going to be great. 97 bucks. Like, come on. That's, you know, a nice dinner. Yeah. For the price of a nice dinner, you can get to that next phase. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know how to publish your book so yeah so we're gonna dive in this is gonna be the deep dive this is gonna be some hard truths we hope you have questions we hope you have demands we hope that there's a lot of shit that you want to know and you want to hear and uh we want to provide it for you well hopefully uh you'll be listening on the next episode thank you guys thanks for listening to right way if you liked what you heard please subscribe and rate or review this episode and if there's something you want to hear head on over to rightwayco.com and let us know until next time thank you guys so much for listening thank you new listeners thank you old listeners thank you to everyone that has supported us thank you to our clients thank you to our collaborators uh thank you to our sponsors thank you to everyone who helped make uh rightway's first year um the first year that it was um please don't forget to continue to spread the word about um our, our website, rightwayco.com, our uh, subscription-based newsletter, um, and all of our services in uh, development, editorial, and design for fiction, nonfiction. And please don't forget to spread the word about this podcast. Uh, wherever you're listening, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, comment. You can even email us at podcast at rightwayco.com. Let us know what you want to hear, who you want to hear from, what you want to know, and we'll do our best Um, to provide it here for you. We want to turn as many aspiring writers into published authors as we possibly can uh, in this new year. So happy new year, everyone. And here's to a happy, safe, healthy, and prosperous 2021.